The premise of today's show is that we are devouring information, culture, entertainment in smaller and smaller units. So what we're going to do is we're going to explain that to you at the beginning of the show, but then we're going to end our show after 18 minutes or so, and we're going to go to other shows uh, that will be nesting inside our show like little Russian dolls. We'll have an episode of the Sam Hadleman show. He'll explain an album cut up into little tiny chunks. The nose... Our nose, kind of, will tackle Nick Hornby's 10-minute TV show, State of the Union. The Carmen Baskoff show, which is brand new, will be talking about a crazy Norwegian web series that comes out in little bits and pieces. And then Kion Wolf will close with an inspirational message. I hope you understand that. I don't, but it's going to happen anyway. I can safely say this is a show unlike any other show that we've ever done. For one thing, our shows are typically 49 minutes. This show is going to be 18 minutes or so. And now the reason for that is because we believe people are consuming things in shorter amounts. For example, as you'll hear later, not on this show, but one of the other little Russian nesting doll shows embedded within this show you will hear about a series that consists of only 10-minute-long episodes. You'll hear about an album out that's 15 minutes long with 15 tracks, each of which is one minute. That kind of thing. AT&T is reportedly trying to figure out if they can edit episodes of Game of Thrones down to 20 minutes so that people can more easily watch them on their phones. There's even something called fast fashion where they turn things around really fast. There's no six months wait between the Milan fashion show and you pulling it off the rack. I just want to quickly also say after this 18-minute segment, we're going to have an episode of the Sam Hadleman show where he's going to talk about that 15-minute album. We're going to have a short episode of The Nose where we're going to talk about that Nick Hornby 10-minute TV show, State of the Union. We're going to have an episode of the Carmen Baskoff show, which currently does not exist but is going to be talking about a crazy Norwegian web series, which I'm not going to try to describe, and then an opposing viewpoint from Kion Wolf. So here we go. Thanks to Gene Amatruda, who has been very patient as we've been doing this craziness. Now, time to introduce the guests. Brandy Jensen would really regard a 10-minute show as something that she would need two of. I, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. She's an advice columnist and editor at The Outline. Vince Mancini is senior film and culture writer for Uproxx, joining us through the miracle of Skype. Brandy, I'm starting with you. You have decided, not as the result of assiduous research or consultation with uh, any celestial authorities, you have just decided that 20 minutes is the right length for kind of everything? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it is something that sort of occurred to me when I realized that I was variously uh, being either late or early to things that did not take 20 minutes to get to, because I realized that somewhere uh, deep in my soul, I just thought that it should take 20 minutes to get anywhere. And so rather than adjust anything about my worldview, I decided that I was right and the world is wrong. And that's sort of the uh, sensibility of anybody who writes for the Internet, I think. And, and does that, how far does that extend? I mean, you know, Vince in a few seconds is going to talk about really long movies. Do you feel as though, like, movies should be 20 minutes? Everything should be 20 minutes? So purely, like, leisurely, pleasure-driven activities, a movie, uh, a book, although I do think movies are way too long. I completely agree that movies are ridiculously long. But reading, you know, watching TV or whatever, that can take as long as you like. 
any pleasure-driven activity can go on forever, except for sex, which should only take 15 minutes. Um, Well, uh, let's uh, have a response to that from uh, Mr. Tom Conti. That's sick. That's sick. People wanting sex to take a long time is sick. So there's, uh, there's, I mean, maybe there's another point of view even about that. All right, so we're going to go back and forth here a little bit. But Vince, you wrote a piece occasioned by, although really we could pick any number of different moments when a whole bunch of long movies dropped at once. What, what was bothering you at that moment, if, assuming something was? I mean, everybody says that, uh, you know, a good movie can never be too long and a bad movie can never be too short. But like now it seems like there's a race to try and be like the biggest and, and that that includes the longest. And, you know, there's a few movies that should be long, but for the most part, uh, they should not be that long, like especially over two hours and 20 minutes. That's that's just too long for like 95 percent of movies. Right. And one of the things that I noticed, just for example, and I could pull up some other examples, but like the Harry Potter movies were for the most part two hours plus and maybe sometimes two hours plus a lot. And that's a child audience. I mean, I realize we're all Harry Potter fans, but I mean, children like those books and like those movies. And I don't know about you, but I can my distant past includes a time when I was a child and I couldn't have watched something that long. Right. I mean, like th- that was part of the, the thing in writing the piece is that when I was talking about movies being too long, everybody's got like their example. Like, oh, what about The Godfather? What about Pulp Fiction? What about Heat? Those are all long movies. But like a long movie used to be a thing that adults watched. And now like the long movies are very much not like the films, not like the cinema, but they're very much the movie movies like like schlock is the one is the movies that are like two and a half hours plus and up to three hours with the latest Avengers. So now, Brandy, back to you. You know, you were pretty sanguine about this whole idea of long movies. But, you know, somebody who divides life into 20 minute chunks and devours them thusly. I have a hard time believing you're not a little put off by the idea of going to, you know, a 14-hour Avengers movie or something. Oh, I, I absolutely concur that movies are too long. I think it doesn't it doesn't quite fit into my own mathematical schema, but I think like around 90 minutes is the perfect length for a movie, personally. Although I guess, you know, 120 minutes if you wanted to do it in like my 20-minute chunks can work out just as well. Right. So, I mean, in a way... I'm trying to extrapolate from your from your piece a little bit, but it seems to me we could have. I think they'd have to be called Jensen units because if we called them Brandy units, people would get confused. But if a standard Jensen unit is 20 minutes, then you could look at the movie and it would say five Jensen units or something, or you know, and you would know what your limit was. Yeah, I think that that is perfectly reasonable, and especially since it involves um, naming something after me. Right. I'm very, I'm very much in favor of that proposal. I figured that might be the deal maker. Uh, um, <laughs> so, Vince, you know, when it comes to movies, too, I, like, sure, you know, The Godfather gets to be really long because it's The Godfather. You know, I mean, that's not a, to me, that's not a really good argument against your point. But one thing that I am like, I, I was, I've been wrestling with the idea of midsummer. Welcome and happy midsummer. Unbelievable. <laughs> Let our feast commence. But I, I don't, I'm scared of movies that are like that. I'm, I don't do well at horror movies. But I kind of had talked myself into it because, you know, it's 
it's going to be light all the time in it because it's Sweden, you know, and, and they have access to really good health care. I just thought maybe I can handle this movie. And then I saw it was two and a half freaking hours long. And I assumed for a lot of that two and a half hours, I'm going to be psychologically tortured watching things. And I, I wonder about the mentality of that. Maybe you can respond. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll defend the length of Meet Somar, uh, <laughs> you know, even though it cuts against my point. But I feel like a movie like that, you know, it takes it takes a longer time just to figure out what's going on because you don't know what's going on. That's a movie where the setting is different and doesn't make, you know, you have to get your bearings and you're you're psychologically confused. Like, I don't think that's the same as, you know, the Avengers, where you kind of know exactly what you're, you're going to get. Everybody in this room is about that superhero life. And if you don't mind my asking, where the hell have you been all this time? There are a lot of other planets in the universe. And unfortunately, they didn't have you guys. Let's go get this son of a bitch. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think there are a lot of other reasons why Avengers movie. I like I like comic book movies, but, you know, it has Ant-Man in it. It doesn't have to be. You don't need three hours. I always kind of assume this is the film industry trying to justify these, like, outrageous costs that are that are given to the consumer, right? It now costs, like, 20 bucks for a movie ticket. And so I, I kind of always in the back of my head figured... This is them saying, well, you know, you get a three-hour movie out of the deal, so that seems like a better value. Either that or they think you're going to leave to go to the bathroom at some point, and you might go buy more hideously <laughs> overpriced food while you yeah, do you're that. Yeah, you're going to run out of your soda halfway through. you got to go buy another one. Right. So, so Brandy, you know, now that we've established the Jensen unit as the perfect metric for understanding the use of time in, in 2019, do you think a lot of this is sort of driven, I assume a lot of it is just driven by our digital world and the fact that we're holding a phone? I mean, I've been reading a lot of articles recently where they, they're stressing about the fact that people who are holding their phone or propping it up on something and looking at it are in a different state of mind than somebody settling down into an opera seat, you know, getting ready to watch Don Giovanni or something. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think there's, there's, you know, something there about this sense of, like, constant bombardment, especially if you spend as much time on the internet as I do. It's this kind of everything happening all at once feeling, and so 20 minutes feels like a manageable unit of time to, to focus on one thing before moving on to the next. Although I have to say, like, Almost all of my writing, this is something that I have not put a whole lot of thought into and is very low stakes, but that I nonetheless approach with like utter and unwavering conviction. So I just want to say, to me that you're on the right radio show. Yeah. yeah, 20 minutes just feels right, and therefore I am now, I, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. So, I don't know, Brandy, as we're talking about this, I mean, it seems to me that, if anything, your original piece on this was not even ambitious enough or all-encompassing enough that you really need to write a second piece in which you really attempt to treat all of culture, you know, all of human activity as something that can be divided up into Jensen units. (laughs) I will take that under consideration. Uh, One of the nice things about the original blog is that I gave myself 20 minutes to write it, yeah. um, you know, as sort of a proof of concept. So if I can, if I can knock out a follow-up in, in another 20 minutes, I will certainly try. Right. Well, we are very close to reaching our Jensen limit here. I don't want to take any chances. Life is dangerous. We've been talking to Vince Mancini, who's senior film and culture writer for Uproxx. He's joining us by Skype. Brandy Jensen is an advice columnist and editor at The Outline. Let me restate that what's going to happen now, technically, the Colin McEnroe Show ends now. But obviously, we have 
have an entire hour, more or less, to fill. So a lot of little shows are going to come on. I believe the next little show that's going to come on is the Sam Hattleman show, which will be actually a littler than usual version of the Sam Hattleman show. I hope at this point you are 100% confused because I am too. And then there will be more little shows after that. So I don't know. Buckle, you, you don't get up to go to the bathroom. You'll miss an entire show if you go to the bathroom. All right. Stay tuned. We'll be back. smooth guitar of Connecticut local John Mayer, you know you're listening to a special segment of the Sam Haddleman Show featured on the Colin McEnroe Show. So today, the show is kind of curated towards me. As uh, someone with chronic ADHD, I'm always looking for the shortest way to absorb the art that I get, whether it's a hour and a half movie, a two-minute song. So when Colin asked me to do a show about short albums, I was like, I'm your guy. So let's just get right into it. It took my dog away. They treat him like a stray. I talked to God today. All dogs go to heaven. In a time where pop superstars kind of rule the charts, especially in the hip hop world, where pop has kind of become a subgenre in the hip hop world, I love to find underground artists who really rely on their own skill set to make it big. And that's something that really Tierra Wack has done so well. She's a recent Double XL freshman cover artist, and her record, Wack World, really spoke to me in a way that a lot of other records don't. The interesting part about it that caught my eye is that every song is a minute long, and the whole record hits in at 15 minutes, but it's just such a nice skill set that she shows here with pop vocals that kind of remind me of old Erica Baidu, and surrealism that is really in the breath of Missy Elliott, and just deep lyricism that you you only really can compare to Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole or some of that nature. Tierra Wack shows that she's really someone to stay, with songs like Flea Market. And they all smile now. Throwing in the town now. But you better bow down. Throwing in the town now. Tell them to calm down. It really shows how able she is to morph and go on to any sort of genre and really exemplify her skills. And you really get to see how talented she truly is. She's just so interesting to listen to. I love how short the records are. I think that's the part that really drew me the most to it, is that right when you really get into the song, right when you really feel like you understand how she makes music, she switches it up on you, and she comes out with a completely different sound, like songs like Silly Sam. Silly Sam, but a man, not a fan, are you damn, you play so many games. Which 
which I might only like because I'm a narcissist, but <laughs> I love that record. I love how she kind of takes these country tunes and kind of meshes it, and she's able to talk about so many deep and dark moments in her life with songs like Pet Cemetery that speak on like the deaths of her friends and she does it in this way that's so playful that you almost get distracted from the daunting reality of what her music truly embodies. I absolutely love it. The video to it is unreal. It is like Netflix production level and it got nominated for a Grammy and you should definitely watch it because paired along with this record it really shows that Tierra Wack is a premier artist in the underground scene and if you really want to do something in your free time her Instagram freestyles are unbelievable if you just are a fan of someone who is looking for a new artist this is easily digestible it is such a mesh of genres that I'd really recommend this to anyone set the parameters you either with the pro bowlers or the amateurs I won't let you ruin my dreams or Harvey Weinstein the kid good morning Matt Lauer can I live look at my new digs the rooftop can host a paint for like 40 the war halls on my wall paint a war story had to find other ways to invest because you rappers found every way to ruin protects up next we have daytona by pusha t probably the most premier record from 2018 this is kind of the golden goose to come out of the kanye west wyoming post breakdown sessions standing at only seven songs and i think around 21 minutes long pusha t is so good at condensing his rhymes and his lyrics i think that's really what i look for when i'm looking for a rap record i don't want someone to take so much time to try to get to the point of what you're saying it's almost like english literature like i just don't want you to have to have that much filler and this is an album with absolutely no filler playing out like a scene from scarface the cocaine laced raps from the cocaine concierge which pusha t calls himself is just so infectious the imagery that he presents is just so vivid and there when talking about you know, weighing drugs on the scale or, you know, different places where you put drugs in a car. You just have this imagery that kind of reminds me of one of those 80s mafia movies like Goodfellas or something of that nature. And I think that that's something that's really missing in today's world. As Pusha T says himself, he's very rare in the sea of pink hair. In an era where kind of fashion has kind of overridden the artistry that rappers are really going for, Pusha T's kind of in the style of someone like Scarface or Wu-Tang, where really the grittiness and the rawness of what he's talking about is really the crux of why people like his music and I think that's why I personally have always been a fan even from the clips day with the classic instrumental to grind and push a T eats beats alive and this is no exception him and Kanye West just have this sort of enigmatic chemistry together with tracks like if you know you know thing of ours, oh this thing of ours, a fraternity of drug dealers ringing off, I just happen to be alumni, too legit they still looking at me with one eye, the company I keep is not corporate enough, child rebel soldier you ain't often enough, a rapper turned trapper can't morph into us, but a trapper turned rapper can morph into puff. And you kind of see the minimalism of Pusha T come through on this record. I love minimalism. I love when beats are just so simple and basic and drawn out and stripped down. I think that overproduction is something that in 2018, when this record came out, is just something that's so unnecessary. I'd rather you do great with four instruments and try to just oversaturate your art with 18. And I think that Daytona is just a perfect example of when you have someone who's so great at their music, like Kanye West, match so well with someone who's so great at rapping, like Pusha T. 
is just kind of like a, a star connection, like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan at some points. And there's absolutely no time to breathe on this record with tracks like Comeback Baby. You really, really get to get the grittiness of this record. And if you're someone who's a classic rap fan or someone who's trying to get introduced into pure lyricism, I think Daytona's a record for you. With tracks like What Would Meek Do, Hard Piano, Pusha T kind of shows why he's known as the Kingslayer, obviously in reference to him and his beef with Drake. You just see just beautiful, beautiful lyricism come through on this absolutely stellar production that plays like Versace sheets. Daytona is an absolute recommend for me, and it's an absolute must-listen. Never have I been locked up in a world of misery. I need you, darling, to set me free. The Don't Forget About Me demos from Dominic Fike. The 23-year-old Naples native kind of meshes his sound together where it's kind of like sublime Blink-182, but he has this star power that kind of is reminiscent of 80s synth pop. But at the same time, he kind of comes through with these almost like Lil Wayne-type lyricism and flows into his music. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful canvas for Dominic Fike to paint on. With this record only clocking in at about 14 minutes, it really shows the skill set that Dominic Fike has with records like She Wants My Money, baby doll or socks you really get to see these long drop like it almost feels like this record is an hour long but it really sits in at 14 minutes it's over before it's done and he just shows so many different skill sets that it's just absolutely infectious specifically on songs like she wants my money I won't to see how diverse and eclectic this guy's sound taste is he's just kind of like the embodiment of my generation i think that beforehand everyone kind of stuck to their own genre and things were extremely defined but dominic fike is just someone to show you that genres really don't have a label anymore and that you can cross over into anything you like and i think that this skill set that dominic fike really exemplifies on this record bleeds through on the entire thing I would recommend it to absolutely everyone. My grandma likes it. My mom likes it. My dad likes it. I love it. And being in
in the Florida scene is just so interesting because he's able to kind of capture the sound that people love down there. It's almost like Jimmy Buffett-esque and able to connect it to the entire music community. He kind of came up through the Brockhampton channels and has kind of taken on this artsy R&B type of scene and we really love to see it. And I just personally, I want pop punk to come back because when I look at the new rap scene, it kind of reminds me of pop punk. Like when I hear people like Uzi, it kind of reminds me of the days I'd listen to Panic at the Disco. And I think Dominic Fike is someone who kind of meshes all these styles together. He's the great center of what I love about music. So I really, really do recommend this record. I haven't really liked an artist like this in so long. And if you're a friend of mine, you're so tired of me talking about him and playing him in the car. But yeah, Don't Forget About Me Demos by Dominic Fike. A definite recommend for a short album. I can't move on, baby Keep That Same Energy is another gem that came out of the Wyoming Kanye West sessions. Tiana Taylor is the premier R&B star for the Good Music Collective. And before this record, she was kind of unknown. She had a couple of popular stints being on My Sweet 16 on MTV, having her own music come out beforehand, dating superstar Amon Shumpert. And you didn't really know what to expect from her. For years, she had been giving these features to Kanye West, and we had seen her skills come out, but nothing like this. Sitting at only eight songs, you really get a nice vision of what her artistry entails. And Kanye West kind of gets back into his bag of production, knowing that he started in the early 2000s with light R&B samples. And that's something that really draws the Kanye West artistry. He loves the R&B samples. That is his bread and butter. So to have someone like that with the canvas of loving R&B and having Tiana Taylor's classic R&B voice. You just get such a nice collection of music here. Gonna Love Me, Issues Hold On. Those two records are just so infectious. So specifically, Issues Hold On. So hold on. I just love the way that she rides these classic Kanye beats. And you've seen Kanye West kind of evolve so much as a producer, you know, through the college dropout to the Yeezus days up until the Pablo session. So for him to kind of go back and draw back on the sounds that really got people to love him was absolutely beautiful to watch. I love her lyricism because it's so relatable, yet at the same time, it's just so out of reach. You know, her hypersexual lyrics and her details into her personal life really kind of play out like an episode of reality TV, yet you still kind of sit there at home and you're like, I can relate to this at some bare minimum level. And her absolutely beautiful voice reigns through on the entire record. I love her lyricism here. Rose in Harlem is another unbelievable record. Been through more than a little bit, been through more than a little bit, but I ain't calling no names out, no, no free promotion. Nah, nah, I ain't late, I don't do due dates, 
No sneak this, no sneak sh- That's just how I was raised. Had to get the dog of soil. I've been down, I've been loyal. When you really hold it down, they need really down for ya. Oh no, what a shame. Ten years in a game. Like you ain't hot, you ain't pop. Yes, up with you and yay. This is definitely not a record to play for your mom, by the way. A lot of these other records you can play in a lot of the settings, but this is, like, very, very explicit. Like, I made the mistake of playing this record around my mother way too many times where a quick lyric will come in there, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just listened to that with my mom next to me. But like I said, if you're just a fan of classic R&B and you don't mind a couple explicit lyrics and you are a fan of early Kanye West production, this is the record for you. Imprecise words. Yeah. She get it because you mean it. These are free smoking niggas need it. Mask off, mask on, we trick or treating. Back off, stand off, it's anemic. Yeah, my nigga is told him it's a feeling. Glass off, butt shot into my ceiling. Why ain't nobody tell me I was bleeding? Please, nobody pinch me out this dream. I said peace to my dirty water drinkers. Nobody try and get it clean. Why ain't nobody tell me I was sinking? And here comes a crowd favorite for myself. I have been a fan of Earl Sweatshirt probably since I was 12 years old. And Earl is just such a fantastic artist. He's just such in the breath of a classic underground hip-hop artist, someone like MF Doom or Mad Lib. And he kind of took the style that they used of having these short cartoon sample lay songs and creating this around 20-minute project called Some Rap Songs. It came out last year in the winter. And it is just unbelievably sad. It plays out like a sad drama film with Earl Sweatshirt talking about the crux and the depths of his depression while lightly touching on his fractured relationships with his parents. His mother sent him away to Samoa when he was 16 at the height of his underground popularity while his dad was a African poet south african poet who recently died and earl had a very very fractured relationship with and this record really plays to those strengths and every song ranges around two minutes long so it's very quick very emotional and he really leaves no filler room and that's really what this record does so well is that he doesn't leave any room for you to get bored it's just constant constant lyricism and that's what i want and Earl's lyrics are just so complex yet so cutthroat that it just plays out so well. And I would really recommend this to anyone who's a classic hip-hop underground fan, maybe someone who's looking for a little more lyricism. It's not exactly a summer album. I'd say it's more in tune with the months of like December, January, February because of the dark and deep production on it as well as the really daunting lyrics. But with only two features standing on the corner in navy blue and his parents actually earl really plays to his strengths here and even though most of his record was made before his dad's death it's still so sad and just so layered and just an unbelievably fantastic record with songs like cold summers the boy been gone a few summers too long from road running trunk full of old hunters of course my old lover was scorned we grow from it don't tell me they don't hunt us for sport i chose substances no 
no cuddles, the bases is all covered. Niggas come in the door and smoke something. Choke up on a slugger for home run ends. Nigga, it's on chest thumpers, head thump on the floor. We press up on the boy, no more bluffing. Cold summers don't tussle with strangers. Summer you really get to see the skill that Earl has been harnessing, being one of the best lyricists of our time. He's been on tracks out rapping Kendrick Lamar, Ab Soul, Tyler the Creator. He really, really, really is someone who gets to show off his lyricism at any point he can, but he's such an elusive artist that this was just such a statement from him. And I absolutely love it. I'd recommend it to anyone who doesn't care about not having serotonin. And that's it for this episode of The Sam Haddleman Show. Thank you to everyone at The Colin McEnroe Show and Jonathan for working the show. Really appreciate the opportunity. Up next, we have a tiny little episode of The Nose. When my mind was consumed But the sun coming out now Clouds start to move Don't tell me nothing but the truth I'm tired, I don't got a spare second When I lose, when I lose I don't keep count, nobody checking Welcome to another little tiny show within our much bigger show. This is a, it's sort of an episode of The Nose, but it's going to be shorter. So it'll be like the no, oh, no. The nostril. The no, and the, yeah, so exactly. The so no. Just one No, nostril. it's a little pug nose. Right. So very quickly, the guests here are Tanisha Dugan, producing associated theater works. Jacques Lamar, playwright, director of client services at Buzz Engine. Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. What did we do? We watched something called State of the Union. It's a Nick Hornby project. It's uh, impossible to find. <laughs> on your streaming service. We're not, we don't have time to explain that to you right now, how you're going to find it. But each episode is 10 minutes long. Each episode is a couple, the same couple, uh, heading into marriage counseling. It's Rosamund Pike and Chris O'Dowd. And they meet at a pub before they go to marriage counseling. And that's it. You basically see that and then them walking up to the door. Although Jacques has watched more episodes than I. And maybe they get superpowers at some point. I don't know. How are you feeling about this week? Well... Pretty sure I'll be there from the beginning. As opposed to 15 minutes from the end. Took a lot of balls to turn up last week, and the later I got, the more balls it took. So if you're there from the start this week, that'll show... Even bigger balls than turning up 15 minutes from the end. So there's basically nothing you can do that isn't an extreme act of heroism on your part. That's more or less right, it. I see. It's a wonder you can even walk, you're so ballsy. It must be like having two antique globes down there. That was a bit sarcastic. Sarcasm's not allowed anymore. Not given the circumstances. Right. I can't remember the last time we didn't speak sarcastically to each other. Last week, in here, when you apologized and so on. I rather liked it. So I'm not allowed to make jokes about your giant balls? You were being sarcastic about me not having giant balls. If I had giant balls and you were making jokes about those, then fine, but you weren't. You were suggesting quite the opposite. And I'm not allowed to because I'm the one who's responsible for us being here. Exactly. Gotcha. Would you like me to tell you you have giant balls? Is that what this is about? I mean, sincerely, is that where this is coming from? No. All right, that was 10% of one episode of State of the Union and 10% of our episode, too. So, I mean, maybe, Tanisha, we have to start first by talking about what it's like to watch a 10-minute episode of something. Um, it's actually satisfying, I will say. Um, it, there's very little obligation to watch more than the... F- 10 minutes, but it's also equally as hard not to press play and Mm -hmm. continue the next one. So it's both 
satisfying and ultimately annoying. <laughs> well, right before we went on, I was saying that to me, I don't know who's going to be like, 10 minutes, that was enough, and I'm going to wander away now. And so who's not going to sit and really watch at least you know four of the episodes in a sitting? I intended, fully intended to watch all of them uh, last night. And I think the 10-minute form makes sense in terms of if this was a full movie, the resetting every time of, you know, the couple entering the bar and then the couple leaving the bar would probably start to feel tedious. But you're like, oh, well, it was only a 10-minute show. So for some reason, I think the form the of, of the 10-minute story actually worked in its favor. Professor Usman? Well, I was actually skeptical about that because I do I, – I think there are concerns about how culture is increasingly – encouraging shorter and shorter attention spans and that, you know, is it – can people really not watch something for more than 10 minutes? But I don't think it's really just these 10-minute episodes. To me, it was really a 100-minute play with 10 scenes. Where that just, as Jacques mm-hmm. said, kept resetting with them coming back to the pub for the next week of their conversation. And so it did hold together for me. I didn't see it as very fragmented. And I did watch it all in one setting. And it really only does take an hour and a half to watch it pretty much. Well, I, you know, the, the Tanisha, so I, I liked it maybe less than Bill did. And to me, one of the problems is it's 10 minutes long. So that most of what we're looking for in terms of dramatic development can't happen, right? Everything sort of stops. They have the preliminary conversation 10 times. Mm -hmm. But what we're really looking for lies beyond that, I think, green or yellow door that they keep walking up to and never never crossing into. Uh, To me, the format kneecaps anything really happening. I agree 100 percent. And I think it's in. It's obviously in the content creator's mind that they've got to keep the arc to ten minutes, and so you're right. There's no development that happens, and there's a world where I may actually be more interested in it if it were actually looked at as a hundred minute play, with ten minute scenes or breaks, mm-hmm. as opposed to what I think they're trying to do, which is to have these like all inclusive, bite sized single events that you could sort of at any moment hop in or out of one of the episodes and not be lost in translation. I think we have an obligation as culture makers to actually build the society we want. And I am actually annoyed by the fact that we are playing into there's one thing <laughs> to sort of Give us 10 minutes because that's where we are right now. But that if you engage for 100 minutes, you actually benefit more from the process and the project if you do that than this other thing, which is. But, you know, I I disagree in terms of, you know, when you look at like Netflix series or whatever, things that would never have, you know, something like The Keepers or Making a Murderer or, you know, the recent thing on Ted Bundy or whatever is that things that would have been a made-for-TV movie or whatever are now five hours long Mm -hmm. carved into hour-long segments. So I think that there are things or like the Central Park film, which I've not watched it. Yeah, I've not watched it yet, but it can expand as well as contract. And so I think I like the fact – I actually disagree that nothing really sort of – 
how, or that it doesn't really able to build, build because yeah. it's an incremental build mm-hmm. over the course sure. of 10 scenes and you're watching the changing nature of their relationship as it goes week by week or in one case there's a two-week leap. Yeah. But, you know, that you're seeing how their relationship is either crumbling or evolving in positive ways. But it has to be taken as a whole. Mm-hmm. It can't be taken. And that's the hard thing about the 10-minute thing. Like on YouTube, I can watch someone's, you know, cooking segment and it doesn't rely on my having seen their six previous cooking segments or what have you. But this <laughs> as as a narrative, you can't jump into the middle. You can in, you can watch any of the scenes, but you really need to watch them in order. I think if you watch the whole thing, there is a narrative arc. Mm. I think if I watched 10 minutes on Monday and then another 10 minutes on Friday and a 10 minutes the week after that, I wouldn't have had the sense of that. But since I did watch it all together, I, I felt like that, narr- that, that narrative arc came through. Although that raises the question of why he did this, why he cut it all up this way. You well, know? it matches I – mean, just by coincidence, I had read the book a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and it's a very slim – it's a novella and it matches the structure mm-hmm. exactly where there are 10 short chapters. Mm-hmm. So it, it, a little gimmicky perhaps mm-hmm. but altogether I felt it held up fairly well. We only have two minutes left. I, I just wanted to say one thing, which is I think Hornby, one of the things he's really good at is people talking about nothing. You know, and he's like, you know, he has characters he can talk about, have a pretty, pretty meaningless conversation about Bell and Sebastian or something, you know, <laughs> for, for, and it's very entertaining, but it has to be in the service of something more. And mm-hmm. what I saw of this, you know, there was like a long discussion of the word well and what the word well could possibly mean <laughs> in different situations. And, I um, loved that. And slippery slope, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so a lot of the kind of Hornbyisms, mm-hmm. but you know they're like chewing up the clock. <laughs> but the like, I thought the Brexit thing was really fascinating. Yeah, that was, good. <laughs> uh, and and one of the coolest parts of it. I don't, it didn't continue to thread necessarily through subsequent episodes. It's it factors in pretty largely at the beginning. I think both actors are terrific. Agreed. Um, yes. I think her character is not um, as well written as his character, and I wonder if that's more. Uh, because of the male perspective mm-hmm. of the male writer, um, I think he's much more shaded and interesting than she is. There's a lot of what she says is really responding to him. Yeah, but what I think is terrific about Rosamund Pike's performance is I thought her best moments are when he's actually speaking, but you can see her face and her reactions to what he's saying. Yeah, but right. it makes the woman just responding to the male True. as opposed to it being two people who have very kind of entrenched views trying to find some middle ground. No time. No time. We're all done. Oh, no. Tanisha Dugan. Tanisha Dugan. Jacques Lamar. Bill Usman. Thanks for doing The Nostril. Coming up after this break, Carmen Baskoff, a producer on Where We Live, is going to explain an incredibly complicated little eeny teensy weensy Norwegian. Uh, you know what? Just wait. Uh, she'll explain it. Let's take a break from Colin McEnroe so we can listen to the Carmen Baskoff Show. So a few years ago, my friend Teresa started telling me about this weird TV show called SCOM. Now, what is SCOM, you might say? Well, my friend Teresa described it to me as something like, it's like Gossip Girl, but 
set in Norway, and it's really good. And then she was like, I'll send you a Google Drive link. So I was thinking Norwegian. And I got to say, Gossip Girl is not really my style. And what is all of this about Google Drive anyways? So she sent me this email, but I kind of ignored it for a while. And then one day I was homesick and I got bored. So I started scrolling through my inbox and I saw this link to a sketchy Google Drive folder that Teresa shared with me. And I opened it and it was full of a bunch of video clips. The next thing I knew, I was totally sucked into this teen drama web series set in Norway about party buses. Hör nå, vi är er de största loserna på skolan. Och med mindre det vill att vi ska ända upp i en loservän, så måste vi ha en strategi. I actually even downloaded the Norwegian Duolingo and Kvinna. It was a whole thing. The word skam in Norwegian means shame, and although the series centers on a group of high school misfits trying to plan a super cool senior year party bus, a lot of the series is about their inner lives, the things they're ashamed of, even as they put on a cool face to the world around them. And Teresa was right. It was actually really good. And before you judge, the American version of SCOM got a write-up in The New Yorker, so you know it's public radio legit. For an expert perspective, I called up Gabriela Acevedo. She's a SCOM superfan and the co-host of a weekly SCOM podcast called Cry Softly in Norwegian. So SCOM is a Norwegian teen show that aired in Norway 2015 up until 2017. And it sort of became immediately a hit in Norway. The thing about SCOM, Gabrielle explained, is that it didn't air like a normal TV show in 30-minute or hour-long episodes, but in a series of short clips, which would drop online throughout the week. Let's say today is, uh, let's say it's Monday. At 3 o'clock, you could get just a scene that was two minutes, and it would be happening as if it was in real time. So we would be watching the lives of our main characters from uh, 3 o'clock till 3.04. So you, you would never know when the content was going to arrive. And then all of these uh, small episodes, small clips, would be edited together at the end of a week until a full episode. And this is a story about teens in high school, right? So if it's a scene about some drama going down in biology class, then the clip airs at 1 p.m. during biology class. If it's a late-night romantic adventure at a party on the weekend, then the clip airs Saturday night at midnight. I I, from what I understand, basically the entire country was watching it. And whenever a new clip would drop, then uh, the whole country would sort of like stop whatever they were doing and watch. Scum was an immersive experience that extends beyond produced clips. So all the characters and Instagram accounts and you would get pictures or lives or whatever from the different characters. You would see their text messages or their Facebook messages to each other. So all of that would uh, work together with the story. And here's the thing. SCOM didn't just sweep Norway by storm. By season three, it actually gained an international following far beyond Scandinavia. It wasn't exactly legal to distribute internationally, though. Here's Gabriella. For a while, this was known as the Google Drive show among the internet because it was the only way in the good old days where you could watch the show. Essentially, uh, a bunch of Norwegian people or Scandinavian people who spoke uh, Norwegian just illegally downloaded the clips and made their own subtitles and then put them up on Google Drive and people would just share the links themselves. My friend Teresa said that the illicitness of watching SCOM may have actually been part of the appeal of the show. It became all the rage at the small Minnesota college she attended. I think it was something about the fact that you could only watch it if you had access to this certain sort of Google Drive where like 
your friends would email you this like top secret drive and then you could watch it and then you would like share it with all your friends and it just kind of spread around like wildfire and like one day I'd never heard about it and then like three weeks later it felt like literally every person I was talking to had already watched all of it and was up to date within the span of like just a few weeks. Teresa says that watching SCOM live was an all-consuming experience. It was coming out in Norway, like, obviously at the appropriate time, but I would be, like, waking up at, like, you know, and seeing that a new clip was live at, like, 1 or 2 in the morning and, like, watching that. Um, But then you also would have to wait for some, you know, fan to add subtitles, like, at 5 in the morning. So there was a lot, like, all the people I was around at the time, we'd all, like, someone would find out that, the new SCOM clip had dropped and then we would all like scramble around trying to figure out if we could find the clip that had been like subtitled and you'd have to decide like do I want to watch it now in Norwegian and kind of have it spoiled because I don't speak Norwegian or do I want to wait and get the whole subtitles. Now for those of you trying to stay above the board with your internet presence, fear not. SCOM has its very own American remake set in Texas called SCOM Austin. Instead of Eva, Nora, Isaac, and Sana, it's about Megan and Grace and Shay and Zoya. I don't think Zoya should be on the team anymore. It's distributed on Facebook, which is kind of a whole other discussion, but all the episodes are there. Why not? Are you kidding me? She's like unstable or something. I mean, the incident on Friday proves it. We don't even know what happened. It doesn't matter. There's no excuse for causing a scene, especially at a football party. For all of SCOM's worldwide success in its revolutionary format, I'm still left with a lot of questions. Does an immersive show that leans on Instagram posts and Facebook messages have relevance outside of a high school setting? It's kind of hard to see a Game of Thrones equivalence there. And is waking up at 1 a.m. to watch a five-minute clip better than binge-watching all night on Netflix? But for now, I'll be catching up on all the drama of Eva, Nora, Isak, oops, I mean, uh, Megan, Grace, and Shay. What, sketchy Google Drive? I don't know anything about that. You've been listening to The Carmen Baskoff Show. After this break, an episode on Kyan Wolf's Words of Wisdom. This is a terrible show, and it's a travesty and an outrage. Let me give you an example. The first Lord of the Rings movie is three hours and 48 minutes. Yeah, that's really long, but if you boil it down to 20 minutes, it's basically four short guys returning a ring to K Jewelers. And yes, all those Harry Potter movies are really long, but that's how children get to experience their first serious blood clot. What do you mean I'm running out of time? That's the whole point! You've silenced people with important things to say, all for the sake of chopping life up into little popcorn chicken nuggets. Remember when we had to wait for days to get our photos developed? Those, oh, those were the good times because... (laughs) 